Good morning and welcome along to those of you uh, watching online and to those of you here in person. Uh, it's really wonderful to have you with us as we worship the Lord together. As we began the, the series on the Gospel of John in our evening services, we're continuing in our morning services. We're continuing to look at that and we'll be in John chapter 4 this morning looking at the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. We'll see how Jesus reveals the woman's heart and her need of grace, her need of God's grace, and ultimately how he reveals our hearts and our need of his grace too. As we turn our thoughts to the Lord now, we're reminded of of who God is and what he has done ultimately in and through his son, our Lord Jesus. As because of what he's done, we can praise him with all of our souls. As the psalmist David speaks about that in Psalm 103, saying, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the amazing wonder of your love for us, that you have crowned us with love and compassion, that you have redeemed our lives from the pit. And so, Lord, we praise you. We praise you with all of our souls, with all of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to do that this morning as we come to you. And Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for uh, your love for us. We thank you, as we were reminded from the words from Isaiah 55, of the free gift of grace of salvation as you extend the invitation of salvation to the thirsty, saying, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that fills our dry, parched souls with the vast reservoir of your love. Thank you, Lord, that you don't just fill our hearts, but you fill them to overflow and you promise to fill them more. Lord, we can do nothing but worship you for who you are, for your amazing love poured out to us in our hearts, by the Holy Spirit. And yet, Lord, as we think of ourselves, as we think of your amazing love for us, we realize how often we have lacked love. Instead of drinking deeply of the awesome love of God, we've too often been drinking the bitter, selfish salt water of our sin. Called to be patient, kind, loving, gracious, forgiving towards others, so often, Lord, we have failed to do so. Called to see others as you see them, made in your image, we've simply passed judgment on them and cut them down with our words. Lord, for the the sins that we've committed and for the good things that we should have done, that we've left undone, we pray that you would forgive us. Father God, we thank you for your love in sending your Son to us, as he cleanses us from all our sins and washes away, casting them to the bottom of the seas, that every debt has been paid, 
that our sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, Lord. And we pray for Josh now as he brings the reading to us that we would hear your voice through the pages of Scripture. We pray for Neil as he preaches. May he make much of our Lord Jesus Christ that we would be in no doubt that God is with us. This we pray for the glory of your name in the name of our precious Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite Josh to give our reading. As you can see up on screen, our reading today is from John chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I I, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors had worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For what? Uh, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Thanks, Josh. Good morning, everybody. Let's uh, pray as we come to God's word. 
Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Well, I guess all of us at some point in our lives um, will ask ourselves the question, what is life all about? Why am I here? And that may be the start of a journey of, of discovery in which we try to find the meaning of life. We may look for it in worldly things like uh, achievement and success, maybe the accumulation of material belongings, enjoyable experiences or fulfilling relationships. We may embark on a deeper spiritual journey in which we seek to discover a a divine being who we can worship or who we can relate to. What makes Christianity so different from other world religions is that rather than us discovering God, it is he who has been gracious enough to reveal himself to us. As it says in the book of Isaiah, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I. Here am I. God has revealed himself to us through his word, the Bible, and through his son, Jesus Christ. At Christmas, we celebrated Jesus Christ coming into the world so that we can know God. Over the next couple of months, we're going to be studying the book of John, one of the four Gospels, and trying to understand more about Jesus, why he came. Um, and we're going to see him interact with, with different people during his life. And this morning, we'll look at the story of Jesus meeting a Samaritan woman, who when she realizes um, there's something very special about this man, she rushes back to a town to tell people, come. See a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Well, that same invitation is given to, to you over these next, uh, the next weeks to come and see for yourselves this man, Jesus Christ. And I pray that uh, as you do so, you'll come to the point of not just seeing him, but also believing, believing that he really is the Son of God and finding salvation in him. Because that's the purpose for which John wrote this book. As he says himself at the end of the book in chapter 20, he says, These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what do we learn about Jesus from this passage? Well, the first thing is that Jesus breaks down barriers. There are a few people who are able to relate equally well to people of different ages, uh, different classes, different uh, intellects, different races. But Jesus was able to do that. In the previous chapter, uh, he talked with Nicodemus, a respectable, well-educated, powerful Jewish leader. In this chapter, we see him engaged with an uneducated Samaritan woman who appears to be a social outcast. And yet Jesus is able to speak to them both and address their different needs. Because at the end of the day, they both have the same need of Jesus Christ. Just as we all need Jesus, whatever situation we are in, whatever background that we may come from. 
It's one of the barriers that Jesus breaks down. Well, first of all, ethnic. The woman is a Samaritan. When Jesus asks her for a drink, she replies, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And the author, John, adds by way of explanation, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. If we're familiar with the story of the Good Samaritan, we will know that there is a history of antipathy between Jews and Samaritans. You may ask, where where did that come from? What's the history behind all that? It goes back to when the kingdom was divided into the northern kingdom um, of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah after the death of King Solomon. You can read about that in 1 Kings 12. King Omri later uh, named the capital of the northern kingdom Samaria, and that name came to describe the whole of that, that northern kingdom. In uh, 722 BC, the uh, Assyrians captured Samaria, uh, and they deported most of the Israelites uh, and settled the land with, with foreigners who intermarried with the, the remaining Israelites, um, which led to the corruption of that religion. And the divide worsened when the Samaritans built their own temple on Mount Gerizim in 400 BC. It was destroyed by the Judeans towards the end of the the second century. And that fueled uh, this uh, religious hatred between the two peoples, and that carried on for for many generations. So Jesus breaks down this ethnic barrier. Secondly, social. Um, She's a woman, and women had a very different status in those times. Jewish attitudes prohibited speaking with a woman on the street, and not even with one's own wife, and certainly not with somebody else's wife. Which is why, as Jesus' disciples returned, it says there they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But Jesus breaks down that social barrier. And finally, moral. She's an outcast. Going to the well was a social occasion. The women would have gone together to the well and chosen a cool time of day. In fact, this woman is there on her own at the sixth hour, which is um, uh, about midday, when the sun would have been at its hottest, when only mad dogs and Englishmen venture out. Um, That's not insignificant. She's an outcast, and the reason why we'll find out later. So this woman was a a Samaritan, an outcast. In the same way that um, Jesus wasn't afraid to meet with tax collectors and sinners, he wasn't afraid to break these social taboos and talk to this Samaritan woman even though she would have found incredible that a Jew would ask her for a drink. Jesus removes all those barriers. Where human beings are not able to interact with others because of differences, Jesus cuts through that and sees each one as a person made in the image of God, someone who has intrinsic value. As it says in Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one. In Christ Jesus. Today in this country, many of the barriers that existed in the past have been broken down, whether that's class or gender, race. And the church is a wonderful place where different people can come together. But how much effort do we take to mix with those who are different from us? Or do we just stick with those with whom we feel more more comfortable? Does the makeup of our church reflect the social demographic of, of this area? Is it a place where someone who is feeling broken, vulnerable, and desperate can come and feel welcomed and loved? As Christians, we are becoming 
a minority group ourselves in this country. So how will we respond when we are the victims of discrimination? The woman's initial reaction here, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? There's probably mixed with a bit of suspicion and bitterness. You know, you know you Jews hate us, so you know what's what's your game here? Then we are treated unfairly in whatever situation. It's a natural human reaction to be filled with a sense of, of anger and frustration and become defensive, put up our own barriers. But when we know we are loved by Jesus, who broke down all of those barriers, he loves us whatever our background that we don't need to be fearful or anxious, but embrace that love and be loving towards others who are unloving towards us. Jesus breaks down the barriers. Secondly, Jesus is the source of eternal life. Sometimes um, we won't be sure what's causing the barrier. And it's interesting that Jesus moves very quickly from the woman saying, how can you ask me for a drink? To address her spiritual need. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water is a common Old Testament term for spiritual vitality. In the book of Jeremiah, God describes himself as a spring of living water. The one who brings life where there is barrenness. Here the gift of God is a person, it's Jesus himself. He will give to all who ask him. But to receive the living water he offers, we have first to acknowledge that we are spiritually thirsty. We are in need of the life that Jesus offers. It's not clear why the Samaritan woman here chooses to ignore uh, the spiritual implication of what Jesus is saying. Maybe she's defensive about her own spiritual heritage. Maybe she doesn't believe that this man she's just met can be compared in any way with the holy patriarch Jacob. And so she says, sir, in verse 11, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. To which Jesus responds by giving an even clearer explanation of the difference between physical water and spiritual water. And he makes the bold claim that he is able to do something which Jacob was not. He's able to offer her eternal life. Look what he says. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus doesn't just meet our physical needs. He meets our eternal spiritual needs. And again, it's difficult to to know what's going through the mind of the woman at this stage, but I think she's probably understanding what Jesus is getting at, but still maybe not quite sure he really is who he says he is. And so she puts him to the test in a, in a slightly mocking way. So give me this, this water so that I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming here to draw water. And when we see where the conversation goes next, it would be easy to assume that Jesus feels a bit frustrated that he's just not really getting anywhere with the, with the woman. 
and maybe decides to change the conversation. But I think Jesus is probably more discerning than that. And what he does next is to help the woman see that he really can deliver what he says he can. And he does that by showing her that he knows everything about her. And in particular, he graciously reveals to her the sin in her heart and her need for a saviour. Jesus knows everything about us. And so he tells the woman, go, call your husband and come back. Now, that probably makes the woman feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know, why is he asking about my husband? I live with a guy, but we're not married. I get enough stick because of my, my complicated love life, but he can't know anything about that. He's a stranger. He's never met me before. Maybe I'll just tell him I have no husband. That'll keep him quiet. But then Jesus shows that he knows everything about her. He says, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you have now is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Or the woman doesn't deny it or excuse it, but it's beginning to realize that this is no ordinary man. Sir, she says, I can see that you are a prophet. We're not told why she's had five husbands. Is it that she cannot hold on to her husband? Is there something about her behavior that causes them to divorce her? Um, We don't know. Why is she not married to the man she's now with? We don't know. Like many people, it appears that she has sought fulfillment in sex and relationships. But human relationships don't provide lasting satisfaction. You have to keep going back to the well for satisfaction. And one day that well will dry up. What Jesus is doing here out of his loving kindness is not just revealing to the woman who, um, who he is through the fact that he knows everything about her. He's also not judging her at this point. He's helping her to see her own heart. None of us knows our hearts like Jesus does. Before we come to Jesus, we are blind to our own sin because sin deceives But in his mercy, God removes that blindness, enables us to see us as we really are. Sinners in need of God's mercy and forgiveness. When we understand that, we are in a position to come to God and seek his help. Without understanding that, we will simply continue through life, veering in one of two directions. Denial. Denying that we have a problem, that there's anything wrong, the sort of Boris Johnson type approach, or despair. I've got a, a real problem and no one can help me. And we'll look at more of that tonight when we look at the laments in the Psalms. But what Jesus helps us do is see our need and then provide for our need by becoming the saviour that we need. And even when we um, do become a Christian, it's still important to understand ourselves. And so we continue to ask God to reveal our hearts to us so we can see where we need his help to continue to change in order to become more like Jesus. That's why when we did the Real Change course last year, we looked at uh, the way in which we respond to the heat in our lives. 
and ask God to reveal to us what is the, the sinful attitude of our hearts that causes us to respond in that way. And having identified it, we were then able to ask him to give us the, the strength to change in his, by the power of his spirit. This term in our home groups, we'll be looking at how to live with fear and anxiety. We're all fearful and anxious about certain things to different degrees. Again, will we deny that? Pretend we, we don't worry about anything? Or will we despair about it? As if it's hopeless? Or will we ask God to reveal to us those fears and anxieties and what those underlying issues are that cause them? And seek his strength to deal with them. Well, coming back to the passage, why does a woman then appear to change the subject in verse 20? Because here she says, Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Now, must I used to think this was just a, what, a diversionary tactic to avoid talking about something she felt uncomfortable about, which I'm sure many of us will remember doing before we became Christians and somebody tried to tell us about Jesus. But I think actually this is a sincere question. She sees that Jesus is no ordinary man, that he's a prophet. And so she's asking about one of the, the key differences between Samaritans and Jews concerning worship. What is it? What is this worship? And Jesus explains that the way God's people should worship him is about to change dramatically. It will no longer be limited to a place or a set of procedures, but it will about, be about what we believe in our hearts. And that is what Jesus means when he says God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And the woman realizes that this change will come about when the Messiah comes and explains that to them. And so she says, well, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, it says, I the one speaking to you, I am he. It's at this point that Jesus' disciples, they come back and interrupt the conversation. Uh, but the woman has heard all that she needs to hear. And so in her excitement, in her urgency, she, she leaves her jar the well. She rushes back to her town where she says to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The answer, of course, is yes. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one who God promised in the Old Testament he would send to rescue his people and reign forever over them. He is the promised king. Jesus is the Messiah and the saviour. And as the people from the town make their way up towards this man to see whether he really is the Messiah, what's going on in the meantime is his disciples, Jesus' disciples, are urging him to have something to eat. But Jesus replies to them in verse 34, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That work is in verse 36, to harvest a crop for eternal life. He says, don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields, they are ripe for harvest. He's saying, what are you waiting for? People here need 
to hear the gospel. People need to know who Jesus is and the difference he can make to their lives. And what we see at the end of this passage in verse 39 is some of that reaping. It says there, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him. Why? It says, because of the women's testimony, he told me everything I've ever done. That woman had her life changed by her encounter with Jesus, and she testified to others about that. He told me everything I've ever done, she said. That's really shorthand for he, he showed me my heart. He revealed to me my need for a savior and enabled me to turn to him in repentance and worship him as the Lord of my life in the spirit and in truth. She wasn't able to convert those to town people herself, but she told them how Jesus had changed her life and pointed them to, to Jesus. And when they heard the words of Jesus themselves, we're told in verse 41, and because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Well, as we close, let me ask you the question, where are you looking for your fulfillment? Is it in the things of this world? Because if you haven't discovered that already, they will fail to bring you lasting fulfillment. Why don't you ask Jesus to show you your heart and your need for for his forgiveness and then come and drink from his eternal spring if you're already drinking from that spring you've you've understood who Jesus is your need for him let me encourage you to keep drinking especially if you may be feeling dry at the moment ask the Holy Spirit to fill you with a knowledge of his love for you and as he fills you, ask him to give you the, the, the courage, the, the compassion for others that, that Jesus had. Ask him to open your eyes and look at the fields. As Jesus said, they are ripe for harvest. Ask him to help you overcome those barriers, maybe of age or class or race. Engage with those who do not yet know Christ. Invite them to, to come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. A man who offers the gift of eternal life. The woman had a brief encounter with Jesus. She had a very basic understanding of what Jesus was offering, but she had a heart open to understand her need for him. And she wanted to share that with others. What is holding us back from doing the same? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that Jesus is the living water. And if we don't yet know him, Lord, we pray that you reveal him to us, you reveal our need for him, that we would respond to that invitation to come and drink from that eternal fountain, that fountain that never runs dry, that continues to fill us. Lord, if we do already know Jesus, we pray that we would continue to drink from that fountain. 
If we're feeling dry, Lord, we pray that you'd fill us with your spirit. And we pray that as we are renewed for your service, we pray you send us out in the spirit to witness to others about who this Jesus is, the difference he's made to our lives, that others may share in that wonderful joy and the wonderful salvation he brings. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.